Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. I'm really happy and eager to get into the Word of God <clears throat> this morning. I've been away from the pulpit for three weeks. We had uh, the privilege of hearing from Paul Kamungi and then to hear from Pastor Darren the last couple of weeks. And this morning, a couple of you asked me, where, where were you the last couple of weeks when you weren't preaching? And if you think I was out of town, you don't know me very well. I don't leave Wisconsin when the weather's good. Like, I was, I was here. You know, if you, need, if you need me to be your pastor while the weather is nice, I am there for you because I love you. But if you need me to be your pastor in January or February, I don't love you that much. And I think you just need a pastor who has thicker blood. I think Wayne's blood is thicker than mine. Dan Miller's is. They're great pastors, as good as me, if not a little better. Just call them, but not me. I will be gone, but when the weather turns bad. It was my joy to be here, to hear uh, you know, from those messages. And as far as where we're at in the pulpit, when we finished Hebrews, which was a admittedly long series, uh, we kind of decided to do several short things before we start another long extended series. And the way that I figured out what several short things to do wasn't just to throw something in the pond and see if there was a nibble, a nibble but to pray about it, dialogue about it with some of our elders, think about it. And it was kind of a coaching decision to say, what are three or four or five things areas where we, need, where we need to develop so that we can play this thing the way that we should and the way that we could. And so evangelism is the first area where we say we, we need to develop our evangelism so that we can win this thing for Jesus the way that we should. Actually, how to study the Bible was another one that what Darren taught there was so foundational. Everything comes from that. And then when we finish this series on evangelism, I want to ta- address uh, family and in particular, singles and how they fit into the church and how the church is a family that's bigger than any individual family. Uh, we need to talk a little bit about money. And I'm thinking also about talking about how, in, how our doctrine of end times relates to fulfilling our mission uh, here and now and today. But for, for this morning and for the next two or three weeks, we're going to hit this topic of evangelism. And evangelism is one of those things where we all say... Uh, that it's highly important and we all struggle to act on it, which is pretty typical. You ever see these surveys? Like I saw a survey. How important is it to have dinner with your kids and spend time together as a family? And it was like 90% said that's important. Or I saw the same thing for voting. How important is it as a citizen of the United States of America is it for you to vote? And it was like 90% of the people say that it's important. But then you put next to it the actual uh, findings of what percentage of United States citizens vote. And it's like the high 20s, low 30s. And same with sitting together with your kids and eating dinner at the table. We say that it's important, but do we actually move on it? And I think evangelism is the same way. The, the goal and the purpose from these scriptures and this pulpit this morning is to move you from complacency to consistency. 
and to move you from notionally or sort of invisibly agreeing that evangelism is important to actually executing on how you speak and what you choose to do and where your time and your heart goes to move forward in actually carrying this out. So I've got four moves that'll move us toward mission and toward evangelism, four. And the first one is this, pray for opportunities, pray for opportunities so that you'll make them and take them. Pray for opportunities so that you'll make them and take them. And for a scripture here, we can read from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Pray for opportunities so that you will be bold to make them and take them. When it comes to evangelism, we don't pray for opportunities, so we sort of blindly walk past all of these opportunities that we don't see because we didn't pray for them in the first place. Why would it surprise us that we don't see it because we didn't ask for it? How many times does our Heavenly Father, who is so gentle and so generous, how many times does your Heavenly Father have to, have to like scoot down and grab your chin and look in your eyes and say this, you have not because you ask not. All you had to do was ask and you'll see the way that he answers that for which you ask. Pray for opportunities so that you'll make them and take them. I know for me, I can be so careless. I can just go from this to that to this to that without seeing the needs around me. But if I stop and I pray, and if I stop and I remember the tears that flowed from Jesus' eyes when he looked at Jerusalem and he said, how I want to gather you to myself. And I pray for those opportunities to reach out with the love of Jesus. It's amazing how many opportunities I see, how many opportunities I instigate, how many opportunities I take and make because of those prayers. It's such an important thing to pray for. You remember the prayer in 1 Timothy 2? 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 6. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. This is good. And this is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. This is the testimony testified at the proper time. To pray. We pray about all sorts of things, don't we? You're just coming in here out of your adult Bible fellowship. And in every one of our adult Bible fellowships, there's a few moments or a long time actually at the beginning, somewhere in class, where we share prayer requests. What prayer requests were shared in your ABF today? I'm pretty sure, even though I wasn't there, there were prayers about medical concerns. My test, how's it going to come back? 
There were prayers about trips we're going to take and travel mercies and protection as we travel. There's no way to, to put it but to ask this simple question. Are the results of your cancer test or the results of your traveling trip that's upcoming more important than salvation? Of course not then, beloved, let us never leave off of our prayer list that which is of the utmost importance now and forever. Let's pray about it. Pray for opportunities so that you'll make them and take them. And as you pray, I mean, I'm, I'm, trying, to get you to, I'm trying to move you from complacency to consistency. So you didn't come in here not knowing that you were supposed to pray. This isn't so much teaching you something you don't know as motivating you about something you don't do. So maybe the most important thing to take away from this is this. As you pray for opportunities, don't forget to watch and look and eagerly expect the answers to your prayer. So watching and eagerly expecting the answers to your prayer. I was watching a football game the other day, and the football game went for four quarters, and as it wound down to the final seconds in the fourth quarter, the whole game hinged on one field goal. If this team could kick this field goal for three points, they would win. If they missed this field goal for three points, they would lose. And, and this is what happened. When the kicker lined up to kick that football through the goalposts, Every member of the home team and every member of the visiting team was watching that foot hit that ball. Every referee was watching. Every fan in both sides of the stadium was watching, watching to see how that foot hits that ball and then does it go through the uprights. When you pray, watch for the answer to prayer. Why is it that for us, why is it that for you, the image would be more like this. When that kicker lines up and his foot hits that football, the split second that the foot hits that football, both teams turn around and run into the locker rooms because they want to be the first ones in the sauna. And everybody in the stands, as soon as that kicker's foot hits the ball, everybody in the stands is like, now's the time to get a pretzel and a Pepsi. And they all just walk out. So we're left with this ball flying through the air and there's nobody watching to see if it lands and if it makes it. Pray for opportunities and then watch, watch and eagerly expect for those opportunities to come your way and be ready to share with joy and without fear. So for me, here's a, here's a true story from my life 48 hours ago about this issue of seeing an answer to prayer for personal evangelism. So you people have the annoying expectation of wanting me to practice what I preach. I don't appreciate that. Um, I'm way better at talking than I am at living. So whatever the topic is, I'll guarantee you this, whatever topic I preach on, any, you pick any verse, any topic, I guarantee you this, I'll be better at talking about it than actually doing anything about it. I promise you that. 
So in this area of personal evangelism, this is not a strength for me. This is a weakness of mine. In my walk with Christ, this is one area of me where I need to be more conformed, to be more like Jesus, my Savior, who I want to be more like. So uh, in an effort to not be a complete hypocrite, just a partial hypocrite, but at least not a complete hypocrite. I'm, I try to take some steps toward evangelism and I start a relationship with this guy who's not a Christian yet. And so I prayed, you know, give me an opportunity to share with him. And I called my daughter and my son-in-law who live in California because both of them are actually gifted evangelists. And I asked them to pray for me as I met with this guy. And I got together with him on, on Friday. And we talked about three, four, five, six, seven, eight things. And then this guy, this is what he says to me. This is pretty much his exact words. He says, oh, I've been meaning to ask you. Somebody just told me the other day that when we die, it isn't like God balances out how many bad things we've done and how many good things we've done. And basically how the scale tilts, that's whether we get into heaven or not. He said, I've always thought it was like that, but somebody told me it's not like that. What do you think about that? <laughs> and when he said that, I had to look away from him so that he didn't see me go, what? <laughs> and I was like, well, <laughs> there's this verse. It says, by grace, we're saved through faith, not as a result of our works, but of God's grace. And we... And we talked about that at his instigation. I couldn't believe it. And the fact that I couldn't believe it just shows that I'm the guy that was going for pretzels and Pepsi when the ball was flying through. Like, I need to watch for these answers to prayer because God will answer that prayer. He loves sinners way more than we do, way more than they deserve. And he wants to reach them through us. So pray and watch for the answers. Pray for open doors, and then watch for ways to make them and take them. The second one, the second move I want you to make is push out of isolation and into involvement. Push out of isolation and into involvement. This is the tension of being inside the church and being out there in the world. Being apart from the world and being engaged with winning the world, being on mission in the world or being within the huddle of the church for worship and for encouragement. And this is, there's a tension in this command because listen to the words of Jesus. This is what Jesus says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 through 18. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? And we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them, come out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. That's the words of Jesus through the Apostle Paul to the church and nestle those right up alongside these words of Jesus. Same Jesus, same heart, same mouth. And he says this in John 17, verses 15 through 18. 
same Jesus, and he says this, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I am sending them into the world. These two truths are non-contradictory. They're both 100% Jesus Christ. They're non-contradictory. But how? The church is to be separate from the world, to pursue holiness and sanctification. And we gather together to worship God and encourage one another. And the way these are non-contradictory is that as we withdraw from the world to be with the church to encourage one another, one of the biggest, biggest, biggest things that we are to encourage each other about is how to go into the world on mission. These are non-contradictory. They're both to be done together and simultaneously. But this, the reason that the, the point here is push out of isolation and into involvement is because this drives me bananas. It happens all the time, and, I, and it's ridiculous. This is... The better of a church member you are, the fewer relationships you have with people who need Jesus. And beloved, this ought not to be. Our purpose for being like Jesus is that Jesus sends us into the world to reach people for Jesus. And the church becomes so isolated. One time Charles Spurgeon, who did not mince words, he felt like his church was becoming too isolated from the world. And like he had all these people in his church that were just like arguing with each other about doctrine and everything and they were just not reaching the world. And so Spurgeon said this, I would sooner pluck one single brand from the burning than explain all doctrinal mysteries. To win a soul, to win one soul from going down into the pit is a more glorious achievement than to be crowned in the arena of theological controversy as Dr. Sufficientissimus. You see what he's saying? Like, if you could win a golden crown for perfect attendance at every church potluck, or you could reach one sinner and pluck a brand from the burning. This is the crown that you would seek. When I say to move from isolation into involvement, it's, I'm just saying be there, be available. You, you, you will never talk to people about Jesus if you're not talking to people. You'll never talk to people about Jesus if you're not talking to people with love and patience and kindness who don't know Jesus. So just talk to them. Uh, frequent the same gas station every time and get to know the, the clerk. Frequent the same uh, stores. Go to the same places. Tip well. Ask, um, hey, I'm going to pray before I go to bed tonight. Is there some way I can pray for you? And the next time you see him, follow up. Just be kind, be interested, talk to people. Be in the world for the sake of the salvation of the world. So push out of isolation and into involvement. That's the second move. The third move is, is this, pivot from living for self 
pivot from living for self or other people to living for God. Pivot from living for self or other people to living for God. And this, this is where I want to address the ultimate motivation for evangelism. What motivation will sustain us in evangelism? This is the ultimate motivation. And I love talking about this because I, one, of the, one of the coolest things about being a pastor is I get to spend time with dozens, if, if not over a hundred every week, Christians who are at various levels of spiritual maturity and who are in varying circumstances. And this is, this is what gets, gets us right down to the motive of who will be an effective and consistent evangelist and who won't. Because this is, this is pretty harsh and it's gonna hurt, but hear me now and hate me later and write me a letter about it and I'll, if there's a gift card in the letter, I'll open the letter. But uh, this is kind of harsh, but this is the truth. Every one of you, um, you want to sit in, in that chair right now and think, um, I, have, I have good desires and good motives, but my circumstances just haven't lined up yet, and that's why I'm not doing what I ought to be doing. Every one of you wants to think of yourself that way. But here's the amazing thing about being a pastor is I know somebody, I know you in your row and I know somebody maybe in the same row as you right now. And you have had really no persecution and no extreme difficulty for several months and you've done very, very little for Jesus. And there's somebody in the same row as you who has been brutally persecuted for being an evangelist and has suffered great hardship, and that has only made them more and more consistent in their evangelism, which proves the point that you cannot sit there and think, you know, if my circumstances were different, I would be, or if my personality type was different, I would be different. No, the only reason for your lack of fruitfulness in Jesus' name is the, the paltry state of your own soul, which is too much like you and not enough like the very spirit of Jesus Christ yet. It's internal. So I'm calling you to pivot from living for self or other people to living for God. Question. This is, this is the whole thing in a nutshell. Question. What is the only motive that will work no matter what? It isn't love of self. And it isn't even love for this person that I want to share the gospel with. The reason that love for other people isn't a motive that will work no matter what uh, it's probably wrong for me to admit this into the microphone, but some of the people that you share Jesus with, they're not very lovable. You don't even love them very much. And they're, they're, they're annoying and obnoxious. It's not, love, it's not love for other people that will always consistently move. The only, the only motive that will work no matter what is the very motive that Jesus gave us when they said, what's the biggest thing of anything? Jesus said, the biggest thing of anything, the only motive that'll work no matter what is this. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then out of that love for God, 
You demonstrate love for neighbor, whether you feel it or not, whether your neighbor is lovable or not, whether your neighbor is trying to kill you or not. It's your love for God that motivates actions of love toward others. The only motive that'll work no matter what is the glory of God and love for God. Let me show you this from Isaiah 48. Look at Isaiah 48. This is a really cool passage because God keeps saying in this passage, my motivation, God says, my motivation is love for my own name and your motivation should be love for God's name. God's speaking to Israel in Isaiah 48, verses six through 11, and he says this, you have heard, now see all this and will you not declare it? From this time forth, I announce to you new things, hidden things that you have not known. They are created now, not long ago, before today, you never heard them, lest you would say, behold, I never knew them. You never heard, you've never known. From of old, your ear hasn't been opened so that you would deal treacherously, so that from before birth, I knew you were a rebel. Verse nine, for my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it from you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. Verse 11, for my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. This is a phenomenal text of scripture because God is speaking to Israel and Israel here in Isaiah 48, Israel is feeling like this. Sure, we have some faults and foibles, but after all, we're a lovable bunch of people and God's reached out to us because he loves us. And we have some rebellion and some sin, but we're a lovable group of rogues and God just can't resist us and he loves us. And God is saying to Israel, it's not for you. It's for my name's sake. Verse nine, my name's sake, I defer my anger. You see verse 10, behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. What does that mean? I've refined you, but not as silver. I'm sure you all understand the, what it means to refine silver because the majority of you probably have a silver refinery in your backyard or in your basement. And you, know, you, put, the, you put the silver in there, you heat it up and it, it burns off the impurities. But why does God say here, I've refined you, but not as silver? I actually think the Hebrew idiom simply means this. God's saying, when I refine silver, the impurities burn away. But Israel, I've refined you and all of your impurities are still there, he says. And then he says, then he says, so I'm angry. But then he says, for my name's sake, I'm not going to wipe you out. In other words, uh, God's saying, I'm not reaching you because you're so lovable and I just love people so much. God is saying, you are unlovable. Even when I tried to discipline you, you went the other way and you didn't get the benefit of my discipline. But for my name's sake, I'm going to withhold my anger. And for my own sake, I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to profane my name. And my glory will still rest and rule and ultimately reign in your life. God is saying, I'm saving you. Not because you're you but because I am God, which is the whole point. 
Remember Psalm 23? We all love Psalm 23. It's such a personal psalm. Lord's my shepherd. Never forget Psalm 23, verse 3. In the sweetest, most gentle psalm about the Lord being our shepherd blazes this humanity-contradicting theocentricity. Because in Psalm 23, verse 3, it says, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. So I have people that I love who are on the path to hell. And I want them to be rescued from the path to hell and be on the path of righteousness. My greatest motivation in wanting to see them rescued from the path of hell and on the path to righteousness is not my personal affection for them. It is for the sake of God's name. Would you let me put it like this? We want to speak to everyone about Jesus. We want to speak to everyone about Jesus, not because every person has the right to hear about Jesus. We want to speak to everyone about Jesus because Jesus has the right to be loved and adored and glorified and honored by every soul living now and forevermore. This is our greatest motivation in evangelism, the beauty and the glory of the name of Jesus. If this sounds like deep theology, it's, it's the, simplest, the simplest baby question that the disciples ever asked Jesus was, could you show us how to pray? And the simplest baby answer that Jesus gave them was, when you pray, pray this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is our ultimate motive, the glory of God. And we evangelize through difficulty and we push past the fear because God deserves to be glorified by everyone, everywhere. You ever get, you ever think something is really awesome and then if other people don't like it, you get bugged at them for not liking it? Happens to us all the time, right? I'm reading a novel. One of my favorite novelists is Wendell Berry. Uh, Every time I read a Wendell Berry novel, half the time I'm crying and half the time I'm laughing. And I told somebody recently how much I like Wendell Berry novels, and this person said back to me, oh, I read one once and it was stupid and boring. And I was like, I got mad. I was like, grrr, you know? Like, what is your thing? Hunting and fishing. Fantasy football. THC oil, whatever your thing is, quilting, car repair, whatever your thing is, like that's your thing. And so you're talking to, your, you're talking to people about it. Your, your thing is Star Wars. And you're talking to someone about it and someone's like, yeah, I never got Star Wars, it's stupid. And you, you're just like, you literally get mad at them for not liking the same comic book as you. That's the way we are. And if this book is saying anything, It said, your thing better be the glory of God's name. That's why we give. That's why we share. Because he's great and he's good and he's beautiful and he's altogether worthy. 
So I wanna ask you, or I wanna push you to pivot from living for self and other people to living for God. And then the fourth move that I want you to make because it would enable you to be an evangelist right away is to pour over scripture so that you can share it sincerely. Pour over scripture so that you can share it sincerely. We know what it feels like to share something insincerely. And we know what it feels like to share something sincerely. If you're pouring over scripture, you're, you're considering Jesus, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Consider Jesus, who endured such hostility against himself, and do not grow weary and faint-hearted. If you're considering Jesus, then when you have an opportunity to speak about Jesus, it'll come out of your lips sincerely because this is something that you're already considering and you're thinking about it. You're just vibing on it on your own because you enjoy it and it's beautiful to you. So it's a sincere thing for you to be able to share with somebody else. But if you're not pouring over scripture, you're not coming back to Calvary, your heart's not being warmed by who Jesus is and what he has done, then to share about Jesus feels robotic and fake and phony. Pour over scripture so that you can share it sincerely. And then, can I just plead with you, don't you ever, don't you ever, don't you dare ever doubt the power of God's word. 1 Peter 1, 23 to 25. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, like the word of Spencer or the word of Josh or whoever. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Share the gospel, use scripture. The best thing you can do is share a little bit of scripture with somebody. The best thing you could do is, is entice somebody to read the gospel of John, the gospel of Mark, because you, you're planting the living seed of the word of God. Share the gospel and just leave an ember. Share the gospel and just leave something that will promote self-reflection later. Listen, please hear this. You cannot save anyone. You cannot close the deal. If you close the deal, it's a false transaction. You can't save anyone. Share Jesus and just leave an ember. And maybe it is a very slow burning fuse, but you leave it there and sooner or later it'll pop because the word of God does not return to him without accomplishing what he has sent it to do. And he's sending it through you in your ministry of evangelism. Just live as a light. Just live to leave an ember in somebody's life as you pray for opportunities, as you push out of isolation, as you pivot from living for others to living for God's glory, pour over scripture and live as an ember. Let me give you an illustration. This is, this is from John Bunyan's autobiography. This has been like the number one illustration of personal evangelism for 300 years. People have been, pastors have been using this. It's John Bunyan and the, wash, and the poor washerwomen. If you have never heard this, you are, 
you're in for a, a treat. I find this utterly charming and undeniably convincingly beautiful. It's from John Bunyan's autobiography, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. And he simply says this about before he was a Christian. One day the providence of God did cast me to Bedford to do some work. And on one of the streets of that town of Bedford, I came to where there were three or four poor washerwomen sitting at a doorway in the sun and talking with each other about the things of God. And I was willing to hear them talk. And so I drew near to hear what they said. But I understood it not. For these poor washerwomen were far above my reach. They talked about a new birth. They talked about God actually working in their hearts. They talked as if they were convinced of their miserable state by nature. And they talked of how God had visited their souls with his love. And they talked of how God had comforted and supported them against the temptations of the devil. Listen to what he says. And I thought they spake as if joy did make them speak. They spake with such pleasantness of scripture and such appearance of real grace in all they said. It was, it was as if they had found a new world that I knew not of. And as I felt this, my own heart began to shake and I began to mistrust my own condition. For I saw that in all my thoughts about salvation, the new birth had never entered my life. Neither knew I the comfort of the promise of God, neither knew I the deceitfulness of my own heart. Thus, therefore, when I heard and considered what they said, and listen to this, and when I left them and I went about my work, their talk and their discourse lingered with me. And oh, how my heart would have tarried with them, for I was so greatly affected by their words. Therefore, I would often make it my business to be going again down that street and to be again in the company of those poor, blessed washerwomen. I just love that because it's unlearned, poor washerwomen. The conclusion of this sermon is not an appeal for you to sign up for a 20-week apologetics course and, like, learn how to argue Evangelism is not an avalanche of information. Evangelism is an introduction. And it is an introduction to the most compelling, most beautiful person in the world. And if, 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 if you just abide with Jesus, then somebody will say of you, she spoke as if joy did make her speak. And if you abide with Jesus, somebody might say of you, it is as if he has found another world that I know not of yet. And maybe they won't come to Jesus this instant, but as they leave, your talk and your discourse and your joy will linger with them as they go. Live and speak of Jesus in such a way as to leave an ember the way those poor washerwomen did. And we'll see many come to Jesus. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, would you help us to live, to converse in such a way as to leave an ember of your word, of your spirit, of your joy, of your grace. Let our sharing of scripture be sincere because we're pouring over your word day and night ourselves. Let our zeal for your glory free us from the fear of man. Help us to pray and then to watch for the answers to those prayers. Lord Jesus, help us to live and converse in such a way as to leave an ember of you and your living word in the lives and hearts of the people around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.